But today we, we start this two-week sermon series. And um, the series is called uh, 21st Temples. And it focuses on the history, you know, of a certain temple uh, built during the Old Testament uh, Bible times. And it was actually built 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, this temple, it's a huge deal, uh, which many Christians may actually not realize. But for us to understand the idea around this particular temple, we need to talk about the history of it. Uh, to shape an understanding of, you know, how this temple is important to the whole Bible in general. And so the aim is for this two-week series, and to be very honest with you, uh, man, I'm only, we're only touching the surface of this topic, okay? Uh, If you, I think you guys at Leadership 113 this week, you learned, um, you had some time about studying the Word of God, and I think you guys looked at, was it the Good Samaritan? And you were broken up into groups, and I heard just so many, so many of you got some richness just out of a few verses. Isn't it amazing that um, if I was to read this scripture again, that I'm going, I mean, you know, if I was to study this part of, of what I'm going to teach today, I'd probably catch something else different. Um, you know, there's just so much richness in the Word of God, um, and it makes it so enjoyable. Uh, personally, I'm not a reader. But, you know, when you actually get to study God's Word, it's amazing how deep you can go. And so, in saying all that, I'm only touching the surface today of this, even the next two weeks. It's only a surface sort of, um, you know, approach. And it's only one part of a revelation that, that I caught in studying it, and I'm excited about it. And so, the aim is just to explore things today that, you know, were true about this temple. Um, and relating it to our 21st temples in our modern day uh, as Christians. So let me give you a little background to our story of this temple that we'll be talking about. There is a time in Israel's history, right, when they were slaves. They were slaves for 400 years under the mighty reign of Egypt. Uh, Many of you might be familiar with the story, you know, around that, around Moses, Uh, Moses being chosen by God to lead the people out of Egypt, you know, no longer being slaves. And as they are now a people that have been set free, they are obviously, they need to become a nation, remember. And over time, they're wandering around the desert, um, you know, free from slavery, now learning how to be free as no longer slaves. And so they're walking around the desert to make their way to the land that, you know, God promised them that they'll live in. And so they're slowly becoming, as they are wandering around the desert for a little while, they are slowly becoming known, you know, as a group of people who were just different from everyone else. One main reason they were known was because they were a people, they they were becoming a nation, they were becoming, you know, this race who worshipped only one God. Now, every other nation that existed around that time and around surrounding them worshipped, you know, countless idols and statues that these nations had made on their own. And so Israel's God was this unseen God, and he wasn't created by human hands. So word got out about this, you know, one God worshipping nation. Not only that, but... You know, nations back in that time were always known by their victories in war and the battles 
that they won. So if a nation won a battle, you know, against other tribes and nations, that actually proved that the gods that they worshipped were strong gods. But if a tribe or a nation they lost in war, it meant that their gods were weak. And here was Israel, right? During this time of their life of freedom, no longer slaves, learning to become a nation who served only one God. You know, Yahweh was his name. And with their one God, man, they were winning wars and battles, you know, left, right, center. And and they were becoming known as this new mighty nation. And Israel, they were learning to, to know and have full trust that their one God would always deliver them in battle as long as they walked in obedience to his word and his standard of living. Question, I mean, what was that standard of living for these people? Well, pretty much everything, living everything opposite, right, to the way every other nation around them lived. Things like, you know, they were to worship only one God, no other gods, only Yahweh. You know, they were forbidden to, to make any idols or, or worship. Even, even through that was what every other nation was doing. They had to be honest and walk in integrity, even learn to honor authority such as parents. There was no murdering, no stealing, no adultery. There were just, a, you know, these are just a few of God's standard of living. Now, if Israel could keep living this way, which were standards that, I mean, seem quite healthy, right, and reasonable, then Yahweh would bless their lands and prosper their lives because they were just walking with him and living lives that honored and glorified God. But if they disobeyed the laws, meaning living and doing life the way that every other nation around them was, then the holy God Man, he could not be in in relationship with them or bless them and prosper them. Well, time passed, right? And by Israel had established themselves, finally they were a nation, not to be reckoned with. They were now in the land promised to them, and as they began to settle and live in their new land, they decided to form a kingdom. A kingdom, and, they, and with this kingdom, they chose a king. And one of those great kings was King David. A lot of you will know. You know, the giant killer, the, the shepherd boy who defeated Goliath with his slingshot. And after King David, the next king to reign was his very own son, King Solomon. And King Solomon is known as the wisest person to ever live. And it was at this time of history where the special temple was introduced. After building a kingdom, you know, for their nation and for their own king, it was time to build a place for God to live in and dwell in. It had been, you know, uh, King David's dream all along, but it was actually his son, King Solomon, who was the chosen one to build the very first temple for Israel's one true God, Yahweh question. What was the purpose of this temple? I mean, why build a temple in the first place? Let me say here, you know, 
every human culture in history they have, has created in some way, it's like a sacred type of place. And this could be in a form of a shrine, it could be an altar, it could be an idol, a type of temple. And these sacred spaces are created because, you know, in our human history and existence, we all have this idea that there is something bigger out there that is bigger than us. There is more to the world than what we have seen and understand. And let's be honest, there is so much of the unknown out there that exists, and you and I have no understanding of it. But we all know there's more. There's more to life. We just don't have all the answers. So what do we humans do? We create things to worship, you know, to help us make sense of our existence on this very earth, and it helps connect us to the unknown, you know, that created all of this and is responsible for all of our existence. Now, for Israel to create a physical building, known as God's temple, it wasn't anything new to the world. Nations well before Israel became a nation, were already worshipping, you know, multiple gods and, and creating their own temples and idols for their worship. So let me ask you this question again. What was the purpose of this temple? I mean, why build a temple in the first place? You know, many people would say, well, it was where Israel, the people of Israel could worship God. And in a sense, that's very true, of course. But let me read you this Bible verse of the purpose of Yahweh's temple, God's temple, found in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. This is the verse here. It says, The house to be built for the Lord should be a great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. This temple... This physical building, the purpose, it was meant to display Yahweh to the world. Now, this temple built by King Solomon would show, I mean, all the surrounding nations of Yahweh's stunning wealth, you know, of gold and silver and, and precious stones. I mean, too much to count. You know, it would say that, you know, that, that God is Israel's treasure, that God's value you know, value to his people, the Israelites, I mean, it's beyond counting. It spoke of God's beauty and of God's relationship with his people through his word and through their prayers. I mean, this amazing temple, it hinted at the beauties and mysteries of God's heaven. And when the priests would do, you know, sacrificial animal offerings, it symbolized bloodshed for the forgiveness of sin. And most of all, the temple, it displayed to all the world that God, Yahweh, lived right there among his people. I mean, God loved his people and he dwelled among them. Why was this so important? It's because the surrounding nations, they don't know anything of these things about Israel's God. I mean, what a way to be a witness to the world at that time of history. 
And coming back to what I said earlier, every human culture has created in some way a sacred type of place to worship the unknown. And through building, you know, through building shrines and altars and idols and temples. Now, if we can fast forward 500 years from when Solomon, you know, built the very first temple. Let me bring your attention to the birth of Jesus. That's 500 years later. The birth of Jesus and his time walking the earth. And this is what I find interesting. You know, uh, for, for those that are familiar with his story, the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples to a certain point, you know, along with uh, the fellow, their fellow Jews, known as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of, of that time, you know, they expected a, a Messiah, a king, right, to be revealed in a actually, you know, spectacular and, and extravagant way because they had come from a history of a great nation, right, that we just talked about, that proved to the world their God was the one true God. And I guess the people of Israel, they expected someone, you know, with style and what is it, pizzazz, whatever you want to say, you know, that looked like a king. Yet Jesus, he was none of that. He didn't come in a blaze of glory. He didn't even look interesting. I mean, I'm sure some of you island families have the, the big flannel picture of, of Jesus and the 12 disciples last supper. Or you've got him, you know, in that picture and he's standing like this with a peace sign, you know, with this luscious gold hair like I used to have when I used to have hair. You know, all the, and, and he actually never looked like that. He didn't look interesting. His glory wasn't revealed on any big scale, so it didn't make him seem like a, you know, a worthy candidate to be Israel's Messiah. Yet, as an unlikely person to be seen as a Messiah, there was one time that Jesus let loose, and it was when he, he's visiting the temple of God. And he saw people, and they were selling things, and they, they were doing business in the temple. And, I mean, this infuriated him. And let me read you what he did. It found in John chapter 2. I'll just read it to you. In the temple courts, so the temple that we've been talking about, Jesus found people selling cattle, selling sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple cords, both sheep, cattle. He scattered the coins of, of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said to them, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. You know, since Jesus had, he just disrupted, right, this normal business day of this marketplace, which was actually situated inside the temple. This temple has been around for 500 years before he turned up. And he rocks on up and he lets loose. 
it, it obviously it caused this massive scene. You know, so the Jewish leaders who were amongst the crowd in the marketplace, remember, Jesus, he's a nobody. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a Messiah. Yet they see him do this. And then they questioned Jesus. They questioned Jesus and his reasons for chasing everyone out. And they felt that they had every right to question him. Why? Because it was their space that Jesus had come in and all of a sudden taken over. A nobody. And so they say, you know, this is what they say to Jesus. Man, what, what gives you the right to come in in here and disrupt our, our daily business. Who do you think you are? If you think you have authority here, then prove it. Show us a miracle to prove that you've been sent by God because you just told us that this house is your father's house, right? Prove it then. They were expecting him to, to show a miracle. You know, but instead of proving himself to them with a you know, miraculous sign from heaven and, and all the fireworks he could have shown, this is what he said instead in verse 19 of John 2. This is what he says. Destroy this temple, the very temple he just finished chasing everyone out of, and I will raise it again. In three days. Not a single person understood what he meant with these words. Probably some of you as well. Oh, I sure. What? <laughs> what you going on about, man? This temple was the most important place for all of Israel. So when Jesus claimed that he could rebuild this temple in only three days after destroying it. They thought he was crazy. However, and Jesus was referring to his coming death on the cross and his resurrection. And not until after he was crucified and he rose again did this very statement make sense to the disciples. So, I've made you, you know, we've been made aware of the temple of the Lord in the Old you know, Testament Bible times. The place where Yahweh would dwell among his people and manifest, you know, and, and manifested his glory. We've learned how Jesus became the ultimate temple for all humani humanity by, by being physically busted down through his crucifixion, but in three days, as he said, he rose again as the final temple that we now devote our hearts and our souls in seeking him. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. If the temple was meant to display God's magnificence right, to the world in the Old Testament times, then it seems that God needed to continue showing the world. And God needed a, a living and moving temple, a way to display his splendor right where people lived. He needed, you know, a, a mobile type of temple so everyone could see 
what it was made of. So what's God's plan? He has made a temple out of people. In verse uh, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, look at this amazing verse. And it says, after learning everything that we've been talking about so far, verse 16, it says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? We as followers of Jesus today are the ones to display God's glory to the world. It's not this church building. It's not how flash a building can look. It's not even the name of every nation, Southside Church. It's the people that will be willing to follow God wholeheartedly. You and I, as living and moving temples, who are called to help others, who are trying, you know, who are trying to find their way to God by speaking and demonstrating his love and fame and splendor to them. As followers of, of Jesus today, you and I as living and moving temples accord to house his salvation. We live out before our families. We live out before our friends how God's grace and forgiveness works. We are called to showcase the living and moving temples, the architecture of, of prayer and the hope of heaven. You know, some, some of you may know, I've always been you know, part of music, always do music, love it. Um, and you know, I've been doing a bit of music outside of church. Um, and I've always done that, even before I was you know, full-time pastor, and I was away uh, about a month ago, I was down in Rotorua, and I was doing, you know, uh, playing at a, a festival event down there, and we were sound checking, and it's funny, um, this is, you know, you, you, they always do all the band, band, band sound check, and, and I just remember, okay, Ulu, uh, can you sound check, please, um, you're good, and and most times I'll, I'll play, play around, you know, everyone's... Now, I've got to tell you, sorry, these events that I play at are not Christian, okay? So, just so you know. And I'm going out there and I'm sound checking at this event. And this is what I do. I'm playing this right, and then they say, cool, all sorted. And then I sort of go away from the keyboard, and I'm sort of waiting around with everyone else. And it's funny, eh, because before, as I finish my sound check, maybe some of you are familiar with that song. It's not a secular song. It's not an R&B song. You know, it's a church song. Um, and I always sound check with church songs. And so I'm sound checking with this particular one. And then the sound guy that's been cussing the whole time comes up to me and goes, bro, are you a Christian? 
Everyone just, ah, your headlights. <laughs> Come, you know, and he's cussing his way all the time. Yeah, saying his words. Yeah, sound check this. Ah, nah, can you stop doing that? You know, swearing. And, he's, and then he goes, oh, pray you're Christian. And I said, oh, what makes you think that? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian too. I, I'm a sound ticket for such and such church. <laughs> for every nation south side. I said, no, I said, jokes. <laughs> jokes, James. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, wow. Then, then um, another band guy from another band, the same thing, comes up. Bro, man, that Kirk Franklin song sounded mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I play for church too. And I was going, bro, get out of here before I beat you, boy. You know, um, jokes. But, and then I was, you know, same thing. I had another event that I played at uh, just this weekend down, down in... Um, uh, Toronga, and I was playing down there, same thing, did the same song, and then now I'm just milking it, just, well, I'm going to start teaching, let's see what, what comes out of this, same thing, these guys, all of a sudden they're Christians, eh? and I'm freaking out, and I'm going, what the, you know, I say all this, it is quite amazing <laughs> how many Christians are out there that live a life, right, that understand that Jesus is the new temple, right? And those very same Christians at the same time may not be operating as living and moving temples themselves. Now, God himself, he lives in us. And as individuals coming together as the church, and you and I are God's living and moving temples. A temple more spectacular and more compelling than the one King Solomon built. Let me remind you, as I finish here, the base and the corner of this great mobile, living, movable temple, which is you, the very base and the corner of it is Jesus. He's our cornerstone. His death and his resurrection and his reign are the source of all our strength. And next to him right, are the great foundational stones of the prophets and, and the disciples of the Bible, of the old, you know, of, of the Bible times, who laid down the truth and strength of God's temple. And then we have examples, right, in the Bible of people who I think would be considered as nobodies. You know, the ones that were the unwanted stones. But they became great in their moment by living and moving temples, as they were. There were people such as, you know, the thief on the cross, Mary Magdalene, the demon-possessed boy, freed from, you know, demonic struggles. The Roman centurion who had faith for his son to be healed. These are just a few examples that I can think of who are living stones added and they were layered on top of each other. And in this great living temple, the Lord Almighty lives, which makes us who we are as followers of Jesus today. We are the, you know, we are the 21st temples. 
And so I hope that makes sense. And because some of us can walk into this building and think this is a temple of the Lord. (laughs) Physically it is. It represents a, a spiritual place that people are trying to seek, you know, an, an, an unknown creator. But I pray that you are able to leave here today understanding that Jesus busted that all down. He walked into the temple as an example, busted it all down, let loose. He became the new temple and we follow that example because he's, he, because of his death and resurrection for us. We go out and do the same. We are the new temples to live like him. Why? So that we can be examples to our family and to our friends that need him. Is it a journey that you may be walking on today? Of course. Are you perfect? None of us are. Some of us may be doing very well with God right now and on an amazing journey. And some of us may be on a really struggling time walking with Christ. The fact of the matter is, is that you're here today. And that you're willing to seek God more and more in this journey. And so as I finish today, let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you.